Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At bluenile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to bluenile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at bluenile.com for $50 off your purchase. bluenile.com code LISTEN. So test the recording now just be like Ah, ooh, ah, ooh. Okay, good. I'm gonna oh. make that the start now. Oh, <laughs> oh, you yes. just doing that. Oh dear. And welcome to the Sinister Sissies podcast, your guide to true crime, horror, and everything sinister, hosted by two gay guys from Australia. I'm Jared, your host of Depravity, and I'm here with the wonderful, intelligent... Fellow Sodomite. Fellow Sodomite, Paul Carp. Should I say Paul Carp from The Guardian, or is that too... Oh, well, I'm a political reporter, but I'm here with an amateur interest about crime. Okay, yeah. Paul knows nothing, so it's good that I've kind of dragged him along. I should I should probably explain what this podcast is and how I came up with it, because it was kind of my idea, and then Paul has like volunteered to, to join me, which is great. Uh, so basically, I was uh, complaining about LGBT blah blah media. For all the queens telling me that I'm not polished enough, I just want them to know that I'm polish remover, bitch. Uh, on Twitter once, as I'm known to do. I'm known to complain. Uh, and somebody snarkily wrote back, well, if you don't like the stuff that's currently being put out, why don't you make something yourself? And so this was kind of my attempt to create something that's gay orientated towards, you know, the more morbid, sinister types. We accept one of us. We accept one of us. Uh, this podcast is going to be about gay serial killers, homoerotic horror, queer metal, and anything else suitably sinister. I, I, I don't know. Gay villains in Disney are pretty empowering, so uh, let, let's let's <laughs> see if that's the serial killers. Let's as well. see if I feel the same way about gay serial killers. Paul is my naive little I'm, little dumpling. <laughs> I'm too I'm too pure for this world. Yeah. I, so I'm here to corrupt. Is the goal? The goal is to corrupt Paul as much as possible. They're coming to get you, Barbara. So today's episode is on Jeffrey Dahmer. Now, Paul, do you know much about Jeffrey Dahmer? No, not at all. So Jeffrey Dahmer was a very infamous gay serial killer who was active between uh, the mid-1980s and the early 1990s. Uh, 
quite sinister in what he used to do to the bodies of his victims, which is something we're going to get into. And just to give you a taste of what Dharma's psychology was like, I'm just going to play you a clip of him describing his violent urges. It was, it was almost addictive. It was almost uh, a surge of energy. Uh, I wouldn't have to uh, worry about um, any of their needs or anything. I just had complete control of the situation. Now, I will say that uh, a lot of uh, commentary is wasted talking about Jeffrey Dahmer's childhood, which I think doesn't say much in terms of what turned him into a, a killer ultimately. Uh, he had a pretty happy childhood from, from all intents and purposes. So uh, his parents were unhappily married and they got divorced. But I think that happens to a lot of kids. So I don't think you can really point to that as being something that, that had a negative impact on him. So he was born 21st of May 1960 in Wisconsin. Uh, he again, had a relatively stable childhood. His parents were unhappily married and his mother was a bit of a hypochondriac, but beyond that, nothing really unusual in terms of his home circumstances. One thing that people do like to point out in terms of Jeffrey Dahmer's childhood is that he did seem to have, at, at quite a young age, an interest in decomposing animals or uh, the bones left over from, from decomposing animals. That's a big tell, people who... No, I'm going to defend this. <laughs> I'm going to defend... Oh, you can, you can kick cats without being a serial no, killer? No, 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 okay. So, we, yeah, uh, he, there is some evidence of some animal cruelty, potentially, but, but the vast majority of the reports suggest that, that as a little kid, he saw, like, a decomposing animal, and he was, like, very fascinated, which... As a, as a morbid kid, I was quite fascinated by decomposing things. Renaissance painters, that's, you know... That's... Yeah. Well, there, have, have you heard of a, a vulture culture? Uh, is it still lives of dead vultures? It is. So it's like a tag on Tumblr, because I love kids these days. They all have little subcultures on online. It's like an online subculture of these kids that are really into, like, taxidermy. <laughs> Vulture culture kind of came to be for people just to like pick up roadkill and recycle animal remains. A lot of it is just recycling and reusing parts that were either found out in nature or from unavoidable animal deaths. Where uh, Dharma himself says things went wrong was actually uh, once he started going through puberty. So he, he says 14 years of age is where he started to get uh, fantasies of, of violence. Sexual in nature? Sexual in nature. Because when you say, you know, at age 14, I'm just imagining him getting off on it. Well, that's the... So, so there's a relatable part of the Jeffrey Dahmer story in that he... Where he thinks things went wrong is that when he started going through puberty and he started to masturbate, he was so ashamed of these images of men that were going through his head and he would try and... Uh, distract himself as much as possible from thinking of men whilst he masturbated, which is kind of a relatable, like, gay boy experience of like, oh, don't think about that, think about something else. And violence was, like, a better placeholder. Well, yeah, this is where it becomes a lot less relatable, is mm. that uh, he uh, he liked to think about uh, decomposing animals as his distraction. And, and in his mind, that's where his wires got crossed. Sounds like a nice chap so far. Where did he go wrong? Where did he go wrong? 
I think it was around <clears throat> age 14 or 15, started have, having obsessive uh, thoughts of, of uh, violence uh, intermingled with sex. And it just got worse and worse. He wasn't unpopular in school. So a lot of people think that Jeffrey Dahmer, you know, the traditional story of Jeffrey Dahmer is that he would be this like outsider gay boy who's getting picked on all the time. A lot of the evidence says that he, he wasn't that though, that he was a bit of a, a class clown. He used to make these really mean-spirited jokes where he would fake having a seizure or there was a, a friend of his mum who had uh, cerebral palsy and he used to do an like uh, um, imitation of this man with cerebral palsy and well a cool sense of humor but again a long way from actually causing harm to people <laughs> yeah I mean and and this was the way that he related to people he wasn't as much as he wasn't like a, a nerd who got picked on or anything like that he also wasn't the most social person in the world uh, part of that was at a very young age he could probably be classed as an alcoholic mm. so Jeffrey Dahmer used to you know drink all throughout his teen years, have alcohol in his locker at school and, and get quite drunk. And I think that... Is that a self-medicating thing? It hardly seems like party times to be having booze in your locker. I don't know if we've got... Uh, we have any indications of why, uh, but certainly I feel like it's the part of the Dharma story that, that is not often talked about, which is the role of alcohol in his offending. So... We know uh, there's a strong association with, between consumption of alcohol and, and violence within particular individuals. One, because when you're drunk, you have a lack of impulse control. And if you're like a chronic alcoholic, you like black out and not know what you're doing. Um, but also, uh, if, you, if you drink at the levels that Jeffrey Dahmer was at such an early age... Uh, you, you're likely to have some sort of like brain damage or missing a, missing a few connections. Yeah, at the end of it, and so I think that that this this alcohol component is such an important part of the Jeffrey Dahmer story that is that is quite overlooked. So yeah, he's he's wanking it to dead animals and is a bit of a class clown and is also a drunk. Couple of red flags. One of his his most problematic behaviours that he had quite early on was there was a jogger, a man that would jog past his house uh, on a regular occasion and he would watch him. He was obviously very sexually attracted to this jogger. Uh, and on one day he decided to uh, kidnap him, basically. And he sat uh, under... Uh, this particular area that he, he knew the jogger was going to pass through with a baseball bat ready to smack this guy over the head and, and take him. Uh, and from Dharma's own uh, admission, the only thing that stopped him from doing it that day is that the jogger never showed up. So was he doing it to sexually interfere with him or what was, he, what was I the think, plan after that? I don't know if it was that that well thought out but I think that it was more I, I want this man I'm going to possess him and I'm going to find a way to do it mm. and I should say at this stage as well is that again all these images of Jeffrey Dahmer being this little timid boy um, and I think even there's a film that, that recently came out called My Friend Dahmer and the actor that's playing him is this little kind of twinky small boy but uh, the reality was that Jeffrey Dahmer had been lifting weights 
since a very, very young age, he was quite, one of the reasons he wasn't getting picked on at school is that people just did not want to fuck with him. Um, he had quite a, a large physical presence. I think he was about six foot um, and did a lot of weightlifting. And so if he wanted to take down a grown man, even though he was a teenager, he probably physically could have done it at that age. And it's just a quirk of, I guess, fate and circumstance that, that he did it. So let's get to Dharma's first victim. So because he did kill for the first time at quite a young age, at about 18. Uh, and just to set the scene here, he was still living at his parents' place, but because his parents had uh, divorced or were going through a divorce, they were in separate places for the weekend for whatever reason, and he had the house to himself. So Jeffrey's... Uh, obviously drinking during the day as he classically did and goes for a drive. As he's driving along, he sees a hitchhiker, a hitchhiker by the name of Stephen Hicks, who waves him down. Stephen Hicks is uh, traveling to a, a local uh, rock concert. And so he's hitchhiking along the way. Again, the culture back then was very much, you just hitchhiked everywhere, which sounds insane to us now, but it was quite common. Uh, they got talking in the car and Dharma convinces Stephen Hicks to go back to his place uh, for drinks. After they have a couple of drinks, they also have sex. The first uh, killing was not planned. I was uh, coming back from the shopping mall back in 78. I had had uh, fantasies about picking up a, a hitchhiker and uh, taking him back to the house and uh, having complete control and dominance over him. Before we get to the really horrible stuff that's about to follow this sort of uh, stuff is that it reminds me of when teenage Jared was was reading this story uh, and rather than being really annoyed about the stuff that was that followed, I was really annoyed that Jeffrey Dahmer... He could pull so easily. Yeah, he's just like dumb-ass drunk Dahmer just driving along and some guy comes up... And I, I'm picturing Stephen Hicks. I don't actually know what Stephen Hicks looked like, but teenage Jared is picturing, picturing Stephen Hicks as this like Adonis of a man <laughs> that is just casually coming up and saying, hey, you want to go for a couple of drinks? Meanwhile, yeah, he's able to pick him up out of nowhere. So this wasn't pre-planned because it's a chance encounter, you know, hitchhiking. Yeah, completely Not chance like the baseball bat with the jogger. You'll see in terms of the, the pattern of Jeffrey Dahmer's killings that he really didn't go into a classic stalking thrill killer mode until quite late in the game. The first couple of ones are fairly opportunistic. So they, they had sex uh, and Hicks then went to leave and in response to Hicks leaving even though Jeffrey didn't want him to Jeffrey picked up a, a dumbbell and whacked Hicks over the head uh, till he was unconscious uh, once he was unconscious Jeffrey then strangled Hicks to death um, and then after uh, strangling him to death Jeffrey masturbated over the the dead body this this uh, pattern of masturbating over the, the deceased body. This is this is such a, a common pattern when it comes to Jeffrey Dahmer, and it, it's really the heart of what is motivating him. Dahmer is is what we call a, a product killer, not a process killer, which means he's he's 
obviously he's killing them for the body, not for the experience of killing. He didn't enjoy killing. Mm. What he enjoyed was the body and what he could do to the body. So if he'd stuck around for a cigarette and some pillow talk, things probably still would have ended badly for him, you reckon? Or? Potentially. I don't think Jeffrey Dahmer didn't like them talking. <laughs> he didn't he didn't like men who were alive and animated. What he wanted was a kind of unconscious body that he could do things to. And there's a name for this. Uh, in its milder forms, it's known as somnophilia. And that is when you have a sexual fetish for somebody that is, that is unconscious. Um, it's, it's known as a paraphilia, but I don't like using the term paraphilia because it like stigmatizes fetishes. I think some people can have somnophilia and it can be a consensual fantasy that they have, and it's not necessarily something that is problematic. We're not here to kink shame. We're, we're not kink just, shaming we're the just, We're just serial killer shaming. <laughs> yes, a lot of serial killer shaming, Excellent. no kink shaming. Excellent. Uh, the somnophilia, yeah, it's, it's just a, it's a fetish for, for someone that is unconscious. Obviously, a lot of people that do commit crimes have this fetish, and we do know that a certain percentage of somnophiliacs uh, will become necrophiliacs. After killing Hicks, obviously, this was at his parents' place and he had a, a dead body that he just masturbated over, uh, he needed to do something with the body. And so using the skills that he had picked up from um, playing with dead animals and doing that kind of taxidermy stuff at such an early age, uh, Dharma dissected uh, dissolved parts of the body parts so that they got down to their bones. Um, pulverized aspects of the bones so that they became kind of ash and then scattered what remained in his parents' backyard. Was so. this pre-internet? How would you even learn how to do all this stuff? So a relevant feature that I should have mentioned is that Dharma's father was a chemist. Ah, uh, acid, acid lying around. Yeah, and it, it's really, really unfortunate because when Dharma's father first saw that his son was really into kind of you know, dead animals and wanting to dissolve the flesh from the dead animals to make them bones and stuff. His father was probably just like, oh, he's interested in science. I can share all my science knowledge. Excellent. You, <laughs> you, know, you give your kid a chemistry set for Christmas, you're not <laughs> expecting them to use it to disappear bodies. Well, like, Dharma is like, I want to dissolve the genitals too. <laughs> he's... So that, that was Dharma's first victim, and there's, there's such a contrast when it comes to Stephen Hicks, um, the first victim, and how Dharma's later victims were treated. And unfortunately, it, it does come down to, to race. So Stephen Hicks was a white guy, and when he went missing, there, were, there was like a national search for him as a missing person. He ended up on kind of milk cartons and, and things like that. There was a desperate search to try and find him. The later victims of Jeffrey Dahmer, majority of which were African-Americans, uh, it did seem like the authorities just didn't give a shit. They tended to be either sex workers or foster kids or other kind of undesirables, quote-unquote, in society. Do you think he knew that? Do you think he was preying on people that he perceived as more vulnerable that, that wouldn't wouldn't be uh, investigated? Or I think that there, there was definitely an opportunistic component to it, but you, you'll see that he picked up a lot of these men as well in the early gay scenes of kind of the 1980s, which I think just naturally had 
a bit of an underbelly to them. Uh, and so I think it's both a yeah an opportunistic side and just pure chance that he was more likely to interact with people that were vulnerable. After he killed Stephen Hicks, uh, Dharma would not kill again for nine years. So there was a huge gap between his first victim and his second victim. And so in that period of time, he enrolled in college uh, and dropped out because of his alcoholism. So clearly alcohol is playing a role in his life up until his adulthood. Was he studying chemistry like his dad? I don't know what he was studying. I hope he was, yeah, he could have been a wonderful surgeon. <laughs> he, missed, he missed an opportunity. Uh, he, he then, after being pressed by his parents, joined the army, uh, but was discharged from the army again because of alcoholism. One of the few places that they reward you for killing people. So yeah. maybe not a bad career option. It probably, I don't know if it would have made him worse or better, but yeah, couldn't last in the army. He would... Um, Apparently do the kind of morning drills type stuff and then at about three o'clock just start drinking uh, and would be passed out and it just, yeah, it, that didn't turn out very well. After he was discharged from the army, he was then forced to move in with his grandmother uh, and started working in a, uh, I believe it was like a chocolate shop or some sort of, you know, normal kind of retail-y type environment. And I think that, that, that aspect of it is also quite relevant to his offending because Dharma... Uh, Retail could tip anyone. Well, the edge. <laughs> exactly. Just the boredom factor, right? As in, is if he had pursued college or if he had pursued the army, I feel like he would have had other things to think about or other things would have been going on, but he was kind of in a, a dead-end job environment. And so that meant that he wanted to explore other things. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. He was uh, arrested for indecent exposure twice. Basically, he would go up to teenage boys in parks and things like that and start masturbating in front of them. I would have thought that's like pedo behaviour, not like serial killer behaviour. Whether or not Dahmer is a pedophile is an open question. He, we will see that some of his victims, uh, some of his murder victims were quite young. I think the youngest was, was 12 or 13. He would be very adamant that he always thought that they were over the age of 18. You know, he was happy to be called a serial killer. Well, that's not maths, my friend. That's not the way it works. He was happy to be called a serial killer, but don't call him a pedophile. My my only objective was to find the the best-looking guy that I could. So as well as doing this kind of indecent exposure behaviour, he also started to frequent uh, gay bath... They call them bathhouses in the US, not saunas. I don't know why. But, you know, gay bathhouses or gay saunas, if anyone is an innocent little cherub that's listening and doesn't know how that works... Um, People are sitting around in towels uh, discussing literature. They're discussing, yes. They're having wonderful in-depth conversations, not touching each other. Uh, look, it's a place where gay guys go and fuck each other, basically. It's a, it's a set-up, you, you know, there's a locker, change into a towel, wander around, there's, there's, sex is happening. 
so Dharma frequented those gay bathhouses or, or, or saunas, and he was known for uh, basically uh, date raping men in these saunas. So he would uh, on GHB. I I doesn't say in any of the all the other drugging that he does he uses uh sedatives like barbiturates i believe like sleeping pills in in uh alcohol uh rendering men unconscious and he would then have sex with the unconscious body again somnophilia it's this is this is part of his his fetish unfortunately a lot of the men that were assaulted by dharma during this period uh, wouldn't go to police because they were in the closet and it's the gay sauna and it's the 1980s and it's what, 1980s, early 1990s. So they're not, uh, they're just not willing to, to speak openly about it. And what tipped him over to kill again? Well, let's get to Dharma's second victim. So Dharma's second victim was 25-year-old Stephen Tuomi. Um, he was killed in 1987. So this is the, the nine-year gap between the first victim and the second victim. Uh, Tuomi met Dharma at a gay bar. Uh, they started chatting and they agreed to uh, go to a local hotel room and have sex, which they did. They had been drinking all of that night and had drunk more when they were at the hotel room. And by Dharma's account, he blacked out, and then when he woke up the next day, Twomi was dead next to him. When I woke up in the morning, uh, my forearms were bruised, and his chest was, was bruised, and blood was coming out of his mouth. He was hanging over the side of the bed, and uh, I have no memory of beating him to death, but I must have. Remember, Dharma is this, this muscly guy. He's quite capable of kind of beating someone to death with his bare hands and that seems to be what happened here he blacked out went into a rage and and killed him killed him in a hotel room as well so this is such a blatant... it'll be harder to disappear this time he called a cab uh and the cab driver helped him take a bag from his hotel room to the taxi and then to his grandmother's house. And apparently the cab driver... Oh, my God. The cab driver made a joke about, <laughs> oh, this is, the, is this a body? Ha, ha, ha. Um, and, and Dharma just laughed along and got away with it. It's so, kind of hiding in plain sight. It's like no one would be stupid enough to get their cab driver to help them move the body. So it's the perfect, uh, it's the perfect cover. Dharma masturbates over the body. Uh, he then uh, dismembers and disposes of the body parts in the trash. Uh, this is the first time that Dharma tries to keep a, um, let's say a gift, but what do I mean? Uh, a souvenir. A memento. A memento. A memento from his victims. He got Stephen Tuomi's head and uh, attempted to uh, strip off the flesh using bleach. So he boiled the head in, in bleach which did get rid of the fleshy bits from the head. Uh, but when Dharma tried to masturbate with the, the skull that was left over, the bleach had made the skull so brittle that the, the skull basically collapsed. Uh, so, and this is this, this pattern of getting these mementos or getting these souvenirs, we're gonna see this escalate 
as we go along amongst Dharma's victims. Mm, yeah, I see what you mean about it's like they're objects. They're just, they're yeah. just chattel. It's, yeah. And you can see how that somnophilia can turn into necrophilia really easily, that it, it is about the possession of that object and being able to do whatever you want with them. After Tuomi, uh, this is where we see Dharma start moving away from being this opportunistic killer into being more of a predator. By this stage, he'd killed two people. He'd been arrested twice for sexual exposure and exhibitionism. He'd raped several men in a sauna. I feel like at this point, he felt like he could get away with a lot more. That there, that he had, you know, gotten away with all of these crimes, and there's without been... any planning. Without if, any planning, if he put some planning in, he'd be, you know. Yeah, we're we're two, we're two down and fourteen to go. So uh, yes, can you give us? Can you? Give I'm going to give you a little. I'll give you the cliff notes of how this works. One of the easiest ways to understand Jeffrey Dahmer's further victims is to recognize the pattern that he got himself into. So. After Stephen Tuomi, he his next victim was um, James, I believe it's James Doxeter, I'm probably mispronouncing that, uh, who was a 14-year-old boy, uh, 14-year-old boy who, who was selling sex. They met outside a gay bar, lured him on the promise that he was going to pay him to uh, take some naked photographs. So this is what you'll see, is that, that Dharma discovers this method of getting this young man to come back to his apartment who maybe don't want to have sex with him, but he would say, oh, if I can take some photos of you, I will pay you this amount of money. And that seems to get them to his apartment. Once he gets them to the apartment uh, with uh, James Doxeter, gives him a drink, drink is laced with sedatives. He's got this pattern down. Once the uh, guy becomes unconscious because of the sedatives, Dharma then strangles them to death and then does what he wants to the body. Creating my own little world where I had the final say, where I could completely control a person, a person that I found physically attractive, and uh, keep them with me as long as possible. And this pattern, which starts with James Doxeter, is repeated over and over and over again between 1986 and the start of 1991. So in that period of time, showing the exact same pattern. Come, I'll take some photos of you, then I'll pay you an amount of money. Drink this, strangulation, doing things with the body. We see that pattern play out with Richard Guerrero, 22, Anthony Sears, 24, Raymond Smith, 32, Edward Smith, 27, Ernest Miller, 22, David Thomas, 22, and Curtis Strouder, 17. So all of those victims following that similar pattern is that Dharma, Dharma found something that worked for him and he, he kept going with it. Did the, did the cops ever trouble him in his, in his travels? Uh, no. You know, posing the, pose as patrons of the gay bar, you know? None of these, uh, many of these men were reported missing and many of them had family members that, that cared about them, but the police just sat on it. We see during this period of time that Dharma starts to do more things with the bodies. So obviously when he was first starting off, he would, he would strangle the men and then masturbate over the body. He moved on to having sex with the bodies. He found a method 
to uh, boil the skulls. So if you just boil them in regular boiling water and not bleach, apparently is the key, uh, you can keep the skull. Uh, and he also started to chemically treat parts of the body and have them actually embedded in acetone. So these, these are the skills that he picked up, you know, with the help of his father. I started saving the skeletons and preserving other parts. And uh, one thing led to another. It took, it took more and more uh, deviant-type behaviors to satisfy uh, my urges. And so it just spiraled out of control. In this period, he moved out of his grandmother's house and then moved into his own apartment where the, the rest of the, the killing took place. Are the trophies on display or is it just something that you come back to when you're, when you're in the moment or what? He, he sometimes would set up particular altars that he would masturbate over. So there's, there's one particular grisly discovery that the police found uh, when he was eventually arrested where he had skulls and genitals and things like that essentially as like a shrine to his victims that he would, would um, use to masturbate with. During this period also, um, Dharma was convicted of sexual assault for assaulting a 13-year-old boy, and he was placed on five years probation and put on the sex offender registry following this period. This is in and 1990. They didn't find any of the other gear when they were... No, I, I don't think they searched his house at this point. I think the boy left, filed a complaint, and then Dharma was interviewed at a police station. So that there was no searching of his his apartment. Well, at least they're catching some of the crimes. Yeah, and it's it's very important that we know at this stage that Dharma was put on the sex offender registry because you start to see the incompetence of the police later on, given that they are they technically should have Dharma in their radar at this point. He should be someone you would be looking at if you're noticing all these young gay men going missing. really was the year of 1991 or the summer of 1991 that Dharma started to do his most grotesque uh, things to, to the bodies. The killing was just a means to an end. That, that was the least uh, satisfactory part. I didn't enjoy doing that. That's why I tried to uh, create uh, living zombies. What, embalming the whole body or... Or this is whilst trying to revivify them Frankenstein style. Uh, turning them into zombies whilst they're still alive. His first victim that he tried this with uh, was Errol Lindsay in April of 1991, who was 19. He was drugged with sedatives given to him um, by Dharma, so following that same pattern. Uh, Dharma then drilled a hole into Lindsay's skull and injected hydrochloric acid into Lindsay's skull. And it was an attempt to create this kind of undead creature that he could uh, possess or control. Um, Lindsay did wake up briefly, uh, having had hydrochloric acid injected into him. He was very confused. Uh, Dharma obviously didn't like the results of that because it, he drugged him again with sedatives and strangled him to death. Uh, his second zombie attempt uh, was, and I'm sorry I'm going to mispronounce this, it's an East Asian name, um, Conorak Synthomophone, Synthomophone, I'm not too sure, a 14-year-old. Uh, he was lured back to Dharma's place 
on the pretext of photos um, and being paid. Uh, he was drugged and again, a hole was drilled into his head and hydrochloric acid was injected in. Uh, Dharma left uh, Conorak in the apartment and he woke up and fled the apartment completely naked. He was intercepted by a number of women who noticed this naked young man uh, who was fleeing and was very confused and obviously couldn't communicate because he had, he had acid injected into his head. Uh, they called the police. When the police came, Dharma managed to convince the police that Conorak was his lover and that he was very, very drunk. The police uh, then escorted Conorak and Dharma back to his apartment and <gasps> left him alone. Oh, man. And then Conorak was killed. And what's so enraging about that story as well is uh, Conorak's 14 years old, firstly, uh, and the photos that I've seen is that he looks 14 years old. And if they had done any check on Dharma's name, they would have seen that he was part on the sex offender registry. Why would cops have overlook that, even if they even if they think that the, the buyer story about him being his his boyfriend? Why why would they they, overlook they that? thought it was hilarious? So there's there's memos back and forth talking about oh look at these two gay guys one's getting fucked up but like they, they thought it was a hilarious story that it happened. And I I imagine they thought it was hilarious and they just wanted to let it go. They didn't want to like ask any more questions because it's kind of gross or weird. Uh, I guess the, the explanation about him being drunk is more plausible than having acid. had acid injected into him. And it was around this time that Dharma started to dabble in cannibalism and actually consume some of the flesh uh, of the body parts that he was preserving. That was, that was another step uh, it, it, it made me feel like they were uh, a permanent part of me. Besides, besides the just mere curiosity of what it would be like, it made them feel that they were a part of me, and it, it gave me a, a sexual uh, uh, satisfaction to do that. In um, the last couple of months of, of his killing, Spray or killing rampage, he was killing one person a week. Um, and during that period of time, he killed uh, Matt Turner, 20, uh, Jeremiah Weinberger, 23. Again, another attempted zombification there, um, this time with boiling water, which he found worked better. Um, Oliver Lacey, 24, and his final victim, uh, Joseph Bradoff, 25. I'm just holding my face and checking all the exits in case anyone's wondering. <laughs> yes, it's 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 pretty horrific, and th this is why he's known as such a, an infamous figure because he he didn't just kill; he he tried to create something something new. This is how Dharma was finally caught. So Dharma lured a guy named Tracy Edwards into his home in the promise for cash in exchange for his company. Uh, while inside, Edwards was forced into the bedroom with Dharma uh, and Dharma pulled out a butcher knife. He fought him off and uh, fled the scene and managed to flag down a police car. And then finally, the, the, the cops searched Dharma's apartment. Um, 
When they searched Dharma's apartment, they found pictures of dead bodies and dismembered limbs because he'd been taking heaps of um, photos of everything. They found a total of seven skulls in the apartment, uh, one in the refrigerator, and then I think another one was on uh, scattered throughout the house. They found a human heart in the freezer. We're getting um, to voodoo level stuff. Isn't that what you do with your enemies? You put them in your freezer? Um, And they also obviously found his, his wonderful masturbation also that he had of bits of flesh and embedded in genitals, embedded in acetone, etc. During his trial, Dharma tried to plead insanity. There were conflicting psych, psychiatric reports, uh, some just diagnosing him with various personality disorders, things like antisocial personality disorder, borderline personality disorder. Um, one psychiatrist did have the opinion that he might have a psychotic disorder, so he might have like a delusional uh, type disorder, um, but they were just too inconsistent and the court ultimately rejected that Dharma was insane. He was given multiple life sentences, of course, um, given you, you've killed several people. Uh, and Dharma died in 1994. Um, he was attacked by an inmate in prison. Uh, whilst they were cleaning the prison showers. Originally, he was found alive. Because everyone knew what he'd done. I don't think it, this was apparently a separate dispute to, to what he, he'd done in terms of his victims. He didn't get along with certain inmates whilst in prison, and one of them decided to beat the shit out of him, and yeah, he eventually died on his way to hospital uh, from the prison. Doing what I did was my way of feeling in, in complete control, at least for that situation. Creating my own little world where I had the final say, where I could completely control a person, a person that I found physically attractive, and uh, keep them with me as long as possible, even if it meant just keeping apart. So that's Jeffrey Dahmer. Uh, in noble ends to... to... Are you, are you regretting, violent, violent regretting signing up to this? <laughs> oh, well, it's, it's, certainly, it's certainly eye-opening. Um, I, I, I don't know. I thought that serial killing was just, uh, you know, like Dexter, maybe, you know, <laughs> vigilante or not not, uh, Less, not uh, masturbating over body parts. The masturbation but, uh, ulcers of skulls, not what you were thinking. No, no. I, I guess I'm most worried about how, how long he got away with it for. I mean, you know. Yeah, cab drivers, cops, neighbors couldn't put it together. I think it's the the was the white male privilege coming out when people were not suspecting him. He was he just came off like a like a weird guy uh, who kept to himself, uh, and that's why you should never trust weird guys who keep to themselves. Thank you for listening to the first episode of the Sinister Sissies podcast. You can follow our podcast on Twitter at Sinister Sissies, or you can follow us individually. Um, I'm at Jared Bartle, that's Jared with a Y, and Paul is at Paul underscore Carp. I hope you enjoyed and stay sinister. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. 
Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.